right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. You don't got time that. All right? Let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Adam Drovetta on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN, your RCST NCAA tournament coverage brought to you by Cycle Zone Power Sports. Big city selection and small town service on bikes, off-road vehicles, and watercraft located off Highway 24 in Topeka. Make that fun and exciting purchase you know you've been wanting for the spring and summer ahead. Your RCST NCAA tournament coverage also presented by Panky Foundation Repair. What's the key to a strong team? A strong foundation. It's the same for a house. Get your home's foundation inspected today for free, and you can get 10% off. If you call and mention, you heard this on Rock Chalk Sports Talk at 785-505-0577. Um, Ochag Baji didn't end up on the all-Midwest region team for KU. Um, and, you know, it makes sense. It's the body of work. But it is, it, it's funny if you frame it from a standpoint of before the NCAA tournament started, or even crazier if you said before the Big 12 tournament started, the KU is going to make the Final Four. And Ochag Baji is not going to be a part of the Midwest All-Region team. Yeah, you could have been like, all right, well, he didn't win most outstanding player. Okay, well, maybe maybe Brown caught fire. Three players on the team. He yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, that was, I do wonder, I, I'll be honest, I'm not sure of the stats of the kid from Providence who did get on there, um, but I, I can't remember what he did, so I, I could be mistaken on this, but... Um, I guess you could craft an argument when you consider Abaji's performance in the Elite Eight um, that they, if they wanted four on there, if you could put four Jayhawks, I mean, I'm sure they can. Um, but they put the kid from Providence on there. I, you know, if you want to argue Abaji because um, he got to play another game, I don't know. But yeah, I, I think the the biggest thing is if you said he didn't win Most Outstanding Player, it'd have been like, okay, well maybe. Uh, maybe another player like Steph Curry. You know, Steph Curry, they didn't make the Final Four, but he still won most outstanding player of that region. So you could be, okay, maybe one guy for another team got hot, but KU as a team still beat him. Um, or Christian Brown went off, or even Remy Martin. But, yeah, he's not even on. That's crazy. Yeah, and Remy ended up winning it. Um, I mean, this is – it's it's close enough to be in a conversation, but it's still so far away because – even though it's only a potential of of two more games, it's only a potential of two more wins if you want to win a title. That that still is so far away, even though it's not, just because it, it's going to be so tough to get through those. But um, it's a it's a it's a it, fe- it doesn't feel like a normal just two more games. Right, it's going to be two really tough games if yeah. you want to do it, and um, you're not even guaranteed the second. No, you're not. Um, but we're two games away from having a, a conversation about Remy Martin getting his jersey retired. Yeah, he has I mean, to win Final Four two, MOP. Two great, but, two great games, and Kansas wins. It's up there, and he has to get Final Four MOP. Yeah, but he, that is yeah. one of the criteria of getting your jersey retired. Yeah, that, I mean, uh, um, self talked when he was asked about Embiid and the MVP. He mentioned Keith Langford, 
and had you know the Syracuse game gone differently, Keith Langford would have won uh, MOP of that Final Four. But it's just weird because Keith he was still is there. top but ten Keith, in the scoring the, list. You Keith know? had four incredible mm-hmm. years at Kansas. Remy Martin could get his jersey in the rafters off of three incredible weeks <laughs> at Kansas. Incredible, incredible. And, hey, I will not complain at uh, not even one bit if that happens. So from what you saw this past weekend where Remy did earn Final Four MOP and, and really over the course of – or not Final Four, I'm sorry, Midwest say, wow. MOP. What do you know um, that I don't? Yeah, Hopefully that's a that's a future statement. Um, Is that enough for you to see with Ochai struggling and them still winning these games for you to say that – you know, even if Ochai struggles, they can still win the title? Or do you view it as, because he had 18 points on 12 shots, he was super efficient against Miami, do you view it as he has to do that for them to win these games? These two teams are so much better than Providence and Miami. Um, that No, I think he has to play. It's like we talked about. We don't need to see the 37 point, points out of him like he scored against Texas Tech in the double overtime game. Um, but you need between, I think, 15 and 20. I think that's a, a, you know, if you can get that out of him, you're in. Without having to take like 20 shots. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. You're in really good shape. If you can get 15 to 20 points out of him on, you know, 12 to 14 shots, I think you're in really good shape. Um, but you know, that's gonna, you know, I, I think like even take away, take away, even if he had, even if his performance Sunday against Miami was like it was against, um, you know, Providence. Kansas probably still wins. They just don't win, you know. They, you could start rushing mastery at about the under eight timeout Sunday, right? Yeah. I don't think that's the case if he plays like he played against Providence. I think Kansas still wins because um, Miami needed a lot of things to go well in order for them to beat uh, Kansas and, and the shots that they needed to make. Were made, you know, I rewatched that game. Well, no, I rewatched highlights of that game last night. And can't, looking back, Kansas really only had one bad stretch, and it was at the under four timeout of the first half. And that was really it. And then obviously they were world beaters in the second half. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's just such a different thing. Can, these two teams, if you no matter who it is, Villanova, and if you get by them, Either North Carolina, I don't care what their seed says. If they go into the national championship, they they would be seventeen and three in their last twenty. So they would be one and of I mean, the best the path teams. they would have gone on to get to. The, I mean, that's what's funny. Everybody in the Final Four, except for North Carolina, really. Well, no, I guess even North Carolina, but everybody has had like like Duke, maybe less than the others. But Duke, you still got to play a four seed instead of Gonzaga in yeah. the Elite Eight. North Carolina uh, got a kiss in the Elite Eight, but yeah. nothing before then. Yeah, Villanova had the Sweet Sixteen with Michigan, Kansas, the Elite Eight kiss with. With Miami, but North Carolina had to go through a one seed and then a four seed who's like a top eight team in Ken Palm. A four seed that their entire group had been to the Final Four the year before. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, North everybody's worked to get there. So, yeah, it, um, but because of that, you know, I, I, I just kind of repeat the point that I just made. I think if Ochai struggled on Sunday, Kansas would have still come away with the win by about eight or ten points. Um, but I think if you, to beat Villanova, and if you win that one, to beat whoever you're going to play from the other side, no, you need a good Ochai. You don't need 40 points, 
but you need a good Ochai. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, the Providence game to me is the proof. Like it was a, it was a struggle for Ochai, and I'll, I'll give him credit. He was he was great on the defensive end of the court in that Providence game. He had some big blocks in that game, deflections. And that uh, was what was the game? Sorry to interrupt, but just to piggyback off that point, was it Creighton that he early on not only was he struggling offensively, but he also kind of made some. Yeah. What are you kind of doing defensively? Credit, you're right to give credit to him for locking in even on the defensive end when shots aren't falling. But they, I mean, you were down late to yeah. Providence in that game, right? For a brief all moment of time. Um, if you do that against Villanova, you do that against Duke or North Carolina, I, you're probably in a different situation. You're probably down 10, right? You're down 8 as opposed to maybe being down 1 or being up by 1 or something. So I, I think you're right. I think he does have to play well. Again, it doesn't have to be that Texas Tech game. Uh, the next question to this, the logical following of this, is now that you saw what he did against Miami, again, 18 points on 12 shots, which is ultra-efficient, 8 of 12 from the field, specifically what he did in the second half, so the last mm-hmm. version that we saw of Ochai, uh, I think he had 6 in the first half. That means he had 12 in the second half. Is that enough for you to say that, okay, I'm not really worried about what he's going to look like or... You know, do you view it as a one-off? Because a lot of the conversations we were having were, are his shooting troubles related to maybe playing tight and wanting to win so bad? And we've seen in years past, Kansas teams and Bill Self teams play tight in the Elite Eight. And that has been a big knock about those Elite Eight games, but that wasn't the case for him in a clear game that it would have made sense if you were tight. Yeah, it felt like after after, uh, halftime, it just felt like... I don't even know how to put it. It just it just felt like a, a a team that just said I don't know what the final's going to be, but we're gonna we're gonna exert our full will on this game. Result be damned. It's going to be played the way we want the game to be played. We're not, and uh, I think that attack mindset is what Ochai also had. I think the whole team had it. Um, and so, but but no, it's not enough to convince me that it, it will stay because um, there was still some passivity by the whole team, including Ochai in the first half. Um, And Brian Haney pointed out, I can't remember if it was last week or or a couple weeks ago, that he said that that Ochai's uh, difficulties from um, the three-point line, at least, have kind of started, really they go back to kind of January. And and it was kind of a slow trickle off there. Uh, but he's, you know, in Kansas City, he was so great, particularly on two-point shots and and one MOP of the Big 12 tournament. So I, I'm not, I want to be clear, I'm not sitting here saying that I I think that what we're going to get is the Ochai we saw against Providence or in the first half against Miami. Um, uh, but I, I'm not convinced that we're going to get, you know, I'm not convinced we're going to get the the second half of Miami Ochai either, but it, I, it it can't be a bad thing to know that it's there. No, it can't. Um, I mean he he is going to influence so much of what you do from behind the arc, and that's so important. Especially you know you're playing a Villanova team who launches threes at will. There's a little bit of a math game that comes into it. You know, even if Villanova doesn't have a great three point shooting game, if they're 10 of 30, which is 33%, which is, you know, it's a fine number. It's like NCAA average. It's not a 
prolific number anything. And if you only shoot 16 times, you go four of 16. I mean, that's a 24 point deficit yeah. at the three point arc. Like it, it just becomes a math game. He is your most prolific three point shooter. He's your most efficient. He is uh, the player who gets up more threes than anyone else. And uh, to that point of him struggling, like very much as Ochai goes, it goes like you could argue that Christian Brown, maybe Christian Brown is Kansas's best shooter. I still think it is Ochai, even with the dip. But if you want to argue Christian Brown, that's fine. The problem is we know Christian's not going to hoist up six or seven threes yeah. in a game, right? And um, as frustrating as it might be for some of the coaches and and for us sitting there watching, say pull the trigger, we just that that's been part of his game. It, it's not going to all of a sudden change. It, it, at least you know in, in the very next game, right? Um, so how Ochai goes from three is going to be pretty dependent how KU as a team goes from three. And over the last three games. KU has shot just 29.5% from three. They also just went 7 of 28, so 25% in the two games in Chicago. Like, I, I think it's pretty clear he has to have at least a, a solid three-point shooting weekend, like above anything else he does offensively, to, to help KU. And I, I get it. You don't want to be totally reliant on the three-point ball, but at this point when you're playing good teams, you're going to have to hit some. You just are. Yeah, he, and, and he's shown an ability that he's quick enough that if you – I mean, the longer he goes without shooting well from three, the more a defensive guy can back off of him and keep him from driving. So as long as he continues to be a threat from three, that's going to open up driving lanes for him too. Uh, and, yeah, you, you just you need – it would just – if somehow, you know, you could bottle up – and maybe now that, you know, because Self said, and hopefully the team runs with this, you know, they've said we're not satisfied yet, but Self also said – you know, the pressure isn't getting there. Now you can just play ball. And and that doesn't mean that they're going to relax and not practice and not watch film or anything like that. It just means, you know, you've already done something really special. Now you can ease off, you know, you, you can basically you can play free and play your style of, of ball. Um, and if, if you can somehow take whatever mindset, whatever back against the wall attacking mindset that they came out with in the second half against Miami – if you could just put that into an entire game against Villanova, I think Kansas wins. Um, even you know, I, I just I think Kansas, if they can exert what their will mm -hmm. uh, and 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 attack and attack and attack the way they did, um, I think they win this game. The problem is one, that's not a guarantee because sometimes shots don't fall, and two, we, there's just so much evidence that they won't. You yeah. know what I mean? Well, and and I mean. I don't know how much the playing in a football dome uh, is going to matter. I mean, we've seen teams like Villanova 2018. That team could have played on, uh, I don't know, on Mars or something. They're, they're just going to make threes wherever they were, right? But we have seen certain teams and certain games where the backdrop and the kind of poor environment for shooting makes it a lot tougher, and it's harder to hit shots. So maybe, you know, that makes the, the kind of bar of what Kansas needs to shoot a little bit lower in these games. I don't totally know the answer to that, and I don't know how Ochai or how any of these individual players are going to react to that. That's that's kind of part of the, um, I guess, story of what's going to unfold this weekend. Like, who's going to kind of step up to, to dealing with that? And um, it's not really a, like, it's, you know, it's one thing to be playing in an NBA arena, which maybe that's still tougher to shoot in than a college arena, but... This is a whole nother animal. Yeah. And Ochai's going to have to step up this week for KU. But certainly we saw some good signs at the end of last week that make you think if he can carry that over, 
That'd be really good for the Jayhawks this Saturday against Villanova. All right, we're going to be joined by Matt Tate of the Lawrence Journal World, KUSports.com, in about 20 minutes. Kevin Flaherty joins us at 440. Jacob Polachek at the top of the 5 o'clock hour to talk the McDonald's All-American game, which is tonight. Coming up next, our daily poll, some Chiefs news, and uh, also some news about where we're going to be at this Saturday. He's Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com. And we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. Matt Tate is going to join the show in about 15 minutes. And uh, we've got some news where we're going to be on Saturday. So the 105.9 KISS crew is going to be out at Granada um, from 1.30 to 3.30. Me and Adam are going to be broadcasting from inside the Granada from 2.30 to 3.30 on Saturday. And here's the reason why. There's going to be a bunch of watch parties for the KU Villanova game down on Mass Street and kind of in the local area. Abe and Jake's is having a big watch party. Their doors are opening at noon. Um, it'll be a $5 cover charge if you come after 2 p.m. You can reserve tables, visit them online, or give them a call um, at Abe and Jake's. They're going to have JB's Tacos, who's coming in to bring food. The Granada is going to have two watch parties. It'll be one inside, one outside. The one inside, doors are going to open at 2 o'clock. It'll be $5 cover charge. You can reserve tables. Again, visit them online. Shoot them an email. Um, they're going to have Mr. Bacon Barbecue as their food vendor there. On the outdoor side of Granada, it's going to be free for everyone. Things open up at noon, free till 4 p.m. They're going to have a huge Jumbotron, concert PA. Uh, Mr. Bacon Barbecue will be catering that as well. There's also Lucia, which is going to have their doors open at noon. Cover charge at $5 starting at 2 p.m. You can go on their website, reserve a table. And then Rick's Place, which is opening up at noon. And that one's just first come, first serve. They're going to have uh, Gold Medal Barbecue as their vendor for that one. So plenty of places to go watch and get a table, have a watch party. Abe and Jake's, the Granada, Lucia, and Rick's Place. Check them out. We're going to be at Granada doing a pregame show. We're going to have some stuff to give away so you can come by, get a t-shirt or whatever. Can I tell you my favorite memory of the Granada? Yeah. All right. Um, my parents, well, they don't care. This was a long time ago, but um, <laughs> they they knew I wasn't the best, the most studious individual when I was in high school. Uh, so my favorite band in the whole wide world uh, is a band you know uh, is they're my favorite band. They're called Coheed and Cambria. And they had a show at Liberty Hall one night uh, when I was in high school. Well, that morning, uh, they were per- they were putting on a free acoustic set down the street at the Granada, and you had to be 21 to get in. It was a kind of a brunch, boozy brunch sort of event, uh, where they had they brunch with with some you know you could buy drinks if you wanted to, uh, but it was free as long as you were 21. I was 17, but I said <laughs> I'm not going to class today, and I'm going to find a way to get into this thing. So I hope this is past the statute of limitations and the owners of the Granada still let me in. But so it may <laughs> just be you on wall. Saturday. I was going to say. Um, I've been to the Granada since. So, But anyway, so I go up. I find a couple guys in line. I say, look, this is the deal. Can I just kind of walk in between you two guys? And if, if I get caught, you guys don't know me. And, and they're like, yeah, fine, let's do it. <laughs> so I kind of just wiggle my way in between them. We scoot on right by. And it was it was a blast. And then I went to the concert that night. 
There you go. My favorite, favorite memory. It's one of the, I feel like everybody should have one of those things where it's like a safe amount of trouble. <laughs> like if, if I get caught for that, it's not the end of the world. No, you're not going like, to jail. Exactly. Or yeah. Everybody should have like a safe amount of trouble. And that's that's my safe amount of trouble story. I like that. Okay, how about this news story? Completely changing gears here. Um, this, I guess, is not a new, well, I don't know, maybe. Uh, Kevin Clark of The Ringer reported this earlier today on Twitter. Chiefs President Mark Donovan, when asked this morning about potential new stadium options, said the team has considered options in state of Kansas. They like Arrowhead and the legacy of Lamar Hunt Stadium, but have been pitched by Kansas developers on a bunch of options. Something to watch. Here's a couple things on that. One, Kansas and Missouri companies go back and forth over the state line every few years because the tax incentives, you know, if you're in Kansas for a certain amount of time, the Missouri will say, hey, we'll give you these tax incentives. And then Missouri or Kansas, depending on who it is, can say, ooh, look at this. We've created all these new jobs. And you haven't really created new jobs because no, there's not new people working right. there. It's the same people working <laughs> yeah. there. They just have a They'll different, just make the extra 20-minute drive. Yeah, they drive. have a different yeah. route to work mm-hmm. now. Um, I feel very comfortable in saying this as definite is not the right word. That area at Ridgeview and K10 where the soccer comp, there's a big soccer complex mm-hmm. now. I think there's a Cerner or a Garmin location there. I feel comfortable in saying that that was... That I wouldn't say that that was definitely where it was going if they voted down the the stadium renovations back in the aughts. I can tell you that was very very strongly going to be like they they really took a hard hard look at that particular area. I feel like if it did happen now, it would be over by where Sporting KC and the Legends would you know, make the most sense because right now Truman, you have Hollywood Casino right there. Which yeah, by the time because at least isn't up till twenty thirty one. Now who knows what the timeline Truman's, of this is? Yeah, but you could have sports betting legalized by then. Yeah, and it's right there. You have the the Speedway right there. See Truman Sports Complex was supposed to develop around it was supposed to develop around it that area in the exact same way that the area around because Kansas Speedway was the first thing there uh, at that little uh, at what is now the legends and then it developed out from that and that's what was supposed to happen at Truman Sports Complex and it never did um and I think one thing that the legends has in common with Truman Sports Complex is right at the intersection of 435 and I-70 and it happened, you know, it's the other side of that, of that, because, you know, for those who don't know, 435 is a big circle, um, and it's just on the opposite side of that circle. But 435 and 70 intersect right at the Legends, just like they intersect right near Truman Sports Complex. So you've got a couple major interstates right there. Um, that, to me, would make the most sense. Having said that, I think this is a leverage play, and I would give... Yeah. I, I would probably... You'd need to give me pretty close to about twenty to one odds before I put any money on that thing being in Kansas. Yeah, I, I agree. This is very much a leverage play. They're just trying to get Missouri to pay more for it, and you know, like you said, come up with certain deals with taxes and, and stuff like that. That's probably what it is. But there is a. I I would love for this to happen, regardless of what happens, though, whether it's in Kansas or Missouri. And by the way, the people who are like, "Oh, how could you root for a team from Missouri?" or the people in Missouri who are like. Oh, if they go to Kansas, I'm never rooting for them again. You are the worst kind of people. I am sorry. You just are. Um, But nonetheless, um, I hope whatever the new stadium is, wherever it is, I hope it's a dome. And I know some people don't love that. I, I, From a football standpoint, I go back and forth. For Patrick Mahomes, it's good. But 
I, I think it would be fun because then you can host the Super Bowl. Then you can host – think about all the Final think, Fours that would come to Kansas City. I think City. Kansas City would get one Super Bowl. I think there would be a lot of Final Fours. That's the thing. Maybe yeah, a college I, I football believe, playoff. If I'm, I, I believe that to this day Kansas City has still hosted more Final Fours than any city in the country. And, and that still stands. That would give them their and chance to bring it back. And they haven't hosted one since 1988. And I think they've still hosted the most. I, Indianapolis may have overtaken them. But I think Kansas City to now to this point has hosted more Final Fours. Um, had the ro- I can tell you this: had the rolling roof passed, there was a deal put in place. The NFL said a Super Bowl will come to Kansas City if you pass that rolling roof. It ultimately failed, um, but I think they'd get one or two Super. Bowl. I think they'd be they'd be more like Detroit uh, and less like um, Houston. You know what I mean? I think they get they, they. I don't think they become part of a rotation. I think they get one. But I do think they're they're a definitive part of the Final Four rotation because Kansas City, there's a ton of history, college basketball history in this town. Um, I mean, the concept for a post-game tournament was was come up with by uh, a guy named Kramer and Emil Liston from Baker and James Naismith. They did that at a meeting down in Gardner. I mean, the, the whole area is brimming with college basketball legacy. So I think Kansas City gets a heap of Final Fours. If they if they build a dome, yeah. Okay, uh, our daily poll for the day. This is somebody I know told me that this was a possibility. Um, so I'm just curious how this is received. If you were having your bridal shower this weekend, you would be blank if one of your bridesmaids did not make it to the bridal shower because they were in New Orleans for the Final Four because they wanted to watch KU. The two options: it's okay or not okay. Would you be okay? Would you be not okay if you were the bride? Okay, I want to be clear. I personally don't. I'm not. I don't think these things are. But I, I don't want to undercut how a bride might, you know, mm-hmm. just because just I, I would say I would be perfectly okay with that. However, I I do think I, if I were that friend and I texted the bride and said, hey, I'm thinking about this. And the bride said, "No, I really would like you to be there. I would be understanding of that." So I, I would. By no means would it be outrageous for a bride to say to not be okay with that. Um, however, I think when you, if you factor in, they're also getting a bachelorette party along with the bridal shower. I would be just fine with missing the bridal shower. Yeah, I think it's fine. It's not the bachelorette party. It's not the wedding itself. That's that's a different story. I think it's fine. You had a groomsman miss a wedding, but it was for military training. Yeah, military. Which, that was understandable they, with that. They had no. Fine. They were going to go to the. Yeah. They were going to go to the uh, the clink if they didn't. Show <laughs> yeah, up. exactly. They're in the military. I, like, nope. Sorry, you're going to jail. You have to come to the wedding. Yeah. Um. All right. Uh. Matt Tate, Lawrence Journal World, KSports.com. We're going to talk some K hoops with him on the other side. This is RCST. here on a Tuesday on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You know what time it is. Time to talk to Matt Tate of the Lawrence Journal World, KUSports.com. And, you know, beyond all the basketball that Matt has gotten to watch and and cover and do great work in the LJ world, it's also been, I'd imagine, a pretty phenomenal uh, couple weeks for food. You have Fort Worth, you have Texas barbecue, you know, maybe not Kansas City barbecue, but still good stuff. Um, You have Chicago with... You know, hot dogs, deep dish, um, whatever, French dips and stuff like that. You have or Italian sausage, stuff like that. Um, now, this week, you're going to be going down to New Orleans, which has all sorts of food that they're known for. Um, and in the spirit of that, 
jambalaya is is one of the you know most notable. I don't know if it's considered Cajun dish or whatever, um, New Orleans, whatever. So obviously there's a lot of ingredients that go into jambalaya. I don't know if you know all the ingredients, Matt, but if you had to describe this Kansas basketball team coming together like a bowl of jambalaya, how would you do that? Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, I didn't know where you were going. I'm, I'm ready. Uh, well, I'm not ready. but Neither I did I, Matt. I had no clue where he was going with that. <laughs> Um, okay. Oh, this is going to get bad. Um, let's see. Well, every, every, I do love jambalaya and I do think it is very Cajun. So you're good there. Um, every good jambalaya that I've had has had shrimp in it. Of course. Mm -hmm. Um, not just shrimp, but shrimp. And so I think you could describe Dewan Harris and Remy Martin as the shrimp because that's in rude addition to being smaller. Yeah. They also are, you know, uh, they've got a little flair to them, a little flash to them. They're, they're not just, you know, basic meat and potatoes types of guys. Mm. So yes, part of it is their size and that's, you know, a little bit rude, but <laughs> it's also a fact. They're the smallest dudes on the team. Nobody's arguing that. So, so we're going to go with shrimp there. Um, there's there's obviously a lot of rice, um, and and uh, I think you know rice is a staple, right? So yeah. I think that you, when you look at consistency um, and and that type of thing that just holds everything together, you're obviously looking at a guy like Mitch Lightfoot. There, you're looking at a guy possibly even um, like Ochai Abaji. Honestly, I mean Ochai in, in many ways is the star of this team, but he's also so consistent and so steady and just all year regardless of what other guys around him have been doing he's been doing what you expect him to do and and holding it all down and and delivering so there's your rice there's your shrimp um i'm gonna go with uh the uh sausage and chicken portion of the of the jambalaya um is is basically to me christian brown and jalen wilson um because you know, it can be terrific. It can be unbelievable. It can make the entire dish, but it can also just be, you know, good, solid, nothing great. And, and I think that's what those guys have been most of the year. I mean, more often than not, they've really delivered and been big. Um, there's, there's no way this team gets where it is today without that. But I think there's a little bit of a, a little bit of a, uh, you know, range there, right? Which I think is what you get with some of that sausage and, and chicken that goes into the uh, jambalaya. Um, and then let's see, what else do we have in jambalaya? Obviously, in my opinion, man, you, 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 I, sh- I probably should have just left Dewan as the shrimp, but that seemed rude and mean and just unnecessary. But, <laughs> but we, you got to have some sauce. You got to have some hot sauce. You got to have sauce flavor. You got to have the spice. Go right, and and obviously Remy's a part of that, right? He's got the, he's got the flair, he's got the flavor, he's got all that going for him. But at the same time, I think the flavor, you know, the ingredients are what they are, and and every bit of jambalaya has got a little something different. There's some veggies in there sometimes, and 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 it, you know, it's made different ways in different areas and all that. But I think the flavor and the kick, if you will, is is what can make the entire dish. Um, and, and in some ways, as weird as it may sound, I think that might be David McCormick. Um, because when it's really good and it's really cooking, 
it, it makes it makes it one of the best dishes in all of the culinary world. Mm. When it's not, it can be really bland and really basic and really boring, and then you don't even want three, four, five bites. You know, you're just kind of over it. So, I think Dave, in a lot of ways this year, through all his faults, um, through the roller coaster of a season that it has been for him individually, I, I think he still. And Bill Self said this a little bit today. I, I, I think he still is a big enough presence on this team that if he plays well, they are really tough to beat. And uh, so I would qualify him as the flavor or the sauce or the kick or the spice or whatever it is that just can either make or break the dish. Um, so now that we've gone through that, I, I'm, I'm going to take a bow because I got to admit, I would have never thought I could even remotely pull something off like that on the fly. And, I, you know, I'm not bragging here, but I, but I think that's pretty damn good. I don't know about you guys, but I, I'm also hungry. Yeah. Oh, no. I know. Uh, Chef Matt Tate here. Uh, I, I think you aced that. I put you to the challenge. You knocked it down. Um, it, it, it seems to me like, you know, I don't know. One of the, the key themes or key words, I guess I would use over the course of thinking about a lot of these Kansas players is the word redemption. And it, maybe it doesn't fit for every single player, but. You know, Jalen redeeming himself, and you just wrote that awesome piece, whatever that was, a week ago or two weeks ago, I've lost track of time, um, about Jalen from where he was at the beginning of the season to trying to overcome that and to where he is now, or to, you know, David McCormick. Obviously, it seems like there's been a lot of different moments of redemption for Dave over the time uh, that he spent with KU. Remy Martin from where he was with his injury to now what he's doing in March. You just kind of go down the list, and, and it feels like that kind of is the key word to me. Um, is that similar to how you would describe the theme of this season, the theme of these players and, and covering this edition of Kansas basketball? Yeah, I think you're right on, man. I, I, I do. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I, I think, uh, I think these guys have done a good job of not making it about that. You know, it's not like they walk around with this giant chip on their shoulders and scowling at the world and, and, you know, doing the ridiculous, no one believed in us things, you know, I mean, I understand when that's true, that can be pretty powerful, but I hate when, you know, top ranked teams or number one seeds throw that card out there. And, and I don't think these guys have done that. I, I think they've, they've operated that way internally and, and probably, you know, been motivated by that, that very idea of, of redemption. But, um, you know, they're, they're still having fun. And that's what's been the predominant theme of this team, I think, is that these guys love each other and they love playing together and they love playing the game. So, I do think it's driven them, though, in a lot of ways, that, that redemption. In fact, I was I wrote this somewhere the other day. Um, I can't remember which one of my, my stories it was in, but it was after they beat Miami. And, and um, I, I was just kind of lingering, hanging around the locker room area and uh, just, just observing, right? Like, what do these guys look like on their way out? What is it? Any, any last-minute things that, that have to make the story that are – that are really telling that are behind the scenes type of things that people didn't see or whatever. And, um, hung up for a long time, probably over an hour. And, 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 you know, obviously with a, a lot going on, everybody's celebrating, everybody's happy, everybody's feeling good. And, um, David McCormick was the last player out of the locker room to head to the bus. And, uh, you know, he walked past me and I, I tend to mind my own business. I don't, you know, it's not, not my show. They, they're doing their thing. And I say, Hey, if I, get a chance to say hey but i'm not there to do that i'm just observing right and and so he said hey he walked by and i said hey and i told him congrats and whatever and 
And then as he got about 10 feet past me, he turned around and he said, hey, today was a day to respond. <laughs> and, I, and, and that fits your redemption theme a little bit. And, and, and I do think it fits this team, and this is, this is kind of what I wrote. It was like, you know, Dave didn't have a great tournament until that point. But he responded, and he showed up so big time in that game. Um, Kansas didn't have a good first half against Miami. Some would say an awful first half. And they, as a team, responded and absolutely dominated the second half. Um, Kansas, as a team, was, I think, largely thought to be the most vulnerable one seed in this tournament when the bracket came out. And they responded by showing everyone, no, no, we're the best of the one seeds because we're the one that's going to make it to New Orleans. And, and so whether that's responding, redemption, whatever it is, I think it all fits under that same umbrella. And, and, and I think it's, it's the fact that these guys have all been on that same page and, and operated with that same mindset and, and been driven by that, but also have done it together. It hasn't been an individual thing where I'm going to go do this for me or I'm going to go do this because I have to make up for whatever. It, it's been I'm going to work my butt off, and I'm going to be great, and I'm going to try my hardest because this team deserves me to do that or demands that I do that or whatever. And so I, uh, I, I think this, this group is, is really unique, and maybe it took them getting to the Final Four for us to realize that, and, and probably it did because, you, you know, they lost in the second round. You don't remember those teams as well, right? Uh, but history tends to remember these types of teams. This is the fourth one that Bill Self's taken to the Final Four, and and, and I think this is a different team than any of those other four. Um, a lot of reasons for that, but, but the biggest is I, I just don't think they have a superstar. Yeah, Ochai's an All-American, but he'd be the first to tell you he could give a rip. You know, he does not care. He does not need or want the credit. He wants his teammates to do well. He wants to do well himself, and he wants to win. And, and I think that was true of all those other teams as well, but you had some big-time stars and alpha-type guys on those teams. Um, when you look at Devontae Graham, when you look at Thomas Robinson and Tyshawn Taylor, uh, when you look at the whole freaking 2018 that ended up playing in the NBA you know, with some really big personalities. I mean, this group has sprinkled in some of that, some of that vibe, but for the most part, this is just a group of a bunch of 1A, 1B, 1C, 1D type of guys. They're not tiered. It's not, oh, these are the clearly two best players, and then here's the next tier, and then here's the sort of lower tier. I mean, it, it really is. It's just a bunch of dudes who, who at any given moment can carry this team or can just kind of fade to the distance and, and play a role, and, and, and it's all because they, they just only care about winning and, and playing for each other and, 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 and playing for Kansas and, and, and playing for Coach Self. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard that be a part of this run uh, where, where these guys are happy for Coach, and, and that's pretty cool, too. I mean, of course, every team loves to make their coach proud and, and deliver for him and all that stuff, but, but these guys are, are verbalizing that as much as I've heard maybe any group do that. So, um, yeah, man, I mean, that's a long-winded story, I know, but that, that redemption, that respond, that whole idea is, is, uh, is really ingrained in this group, and, and I think they're, uh, they're, they're, they're obviously where they are today because of that, and, and they're in, in as good a shape as maybe any Kansas team since 08 to win the title, and, and even that team was the fourth favorite there, I think, when they got to the Final Four. So, you know, in, in, in 2012, it was, well, yeah, that's a really good team. They've had some really good wins, but gosh, 
they got to play Anthony Davis in Kentucky. So I don't know that anyone thought that team was going to win it. Um, and, and same with 18. I mean, that was a great run and a big time win over Duke and all that. But when they got there, I don't think anybody was talking about Kansas as the team to beat um, in in uh, San Antonio that year. And um, maybe this team isn't the team to beat, but um, but but they've definitely got as good a shot as any of the four there, and and so that that puts them in a little different position too. So it, it's going to be a a really interesting week and uh, and a heck of a weekend. That's a that's a powerhouse Final Four, and and it's uh, it's unbelievable that that's where we're at after this wild tournament. Yeah, it is, and uh, the way the Kansas defense has come up over these last four games has been pretty notable um, for the Jayhawks. And we go now into the Final Four. And what was once a, you know, uh, it was still good by nature of looking nationally, but uh, like, for instance, in Ken Palm adjusted defensive efficiency, uh, they have now moved up to they are the highest ranking defense of any of the final four teams remaining, which, again, like that's something if I would have told you KU would be in this situation and they would be the best defense remaining a month ago, you would say, wow, that. Must have meant something weird happened, right? And I guess maybe something did with North Carolina making it, but there's still two two seeds in there. Um, is that something that you look at as being a like an unlocked skill now for this team, as in you expect that con- to continue however far this goes for KU, or do you look at it as they just played some good matchups or just had a good four-game stretch? And I guess kind of going in with that, we have seen the offense drop off a little bit as well. Do you think it's possible for them to play defense like they have these last four games and the offense be to kind of some of the top levels we've seen earlier this season? Yeah, that, that ceiling is, is, is that's the biggest question. That's the tough one to know because um, the, way they've, the way they've defended lately, they've had to give so much effort and energy there. Um, but I think it has affected the offense some, not, not in the not in a detrimental way, obviously, but a little bit. And it, and, it, and it certainly takes a lot more energy to defend and do it at a high level and be effective with it. So um, the idea of getting both to peak level before this thing's over, I, I think it's possible. Um, and and I'll, I'll go one further than that. I think if they do it, they'll win the title. I mean, that, that's, that's how good their ceiling is right now. Um, but... I think the reason their defense is where it is and is exactly what you just said, the, the best statistically speaking defense remaining is, is because they've, they've clearly bought into the idea that their offense is good. They've got enough weapons. They've got enough pieces, and they know it. It's going to be there most nights. What they had to buy into was Bill Self's favorite philosophy of making other teams play bad. And if you can do that, you know, you can get to 60 and win. And, and it doesn't take much to get to 60. So uh, I, I think it took these guys a while to buy into that. I think part of that was comfort and fit and and the mental part of the game um, with so many, you know, guys in different roles or newcomers factoring in or whatever the situation is. It, it, it's definitely a, a process, and it's definitely something that you could see it most of this season. There's a lot of guys out there thinking about their defense. Should I be here? Should I go there? Am I in the right spot? Did I screw that up? Oh, I screwed that up. I'm getting yelled at now. I mean, like all this mental stuff happening in real time out there on the court. And I think once the postseason hit, going back to the Big 12 tournament, it looked like they flipped the switch, and it looked like they they stopped worrying about that stuff and just started believing that they were doing the right things, and and they and they and they were because of effort. They started 
you know, maxing out on their effort and uh, they just let it fly. And, and you, you oftentimes hear that term, let it fly, associated with offense. But I think it can apply defensively too. And I think that's exactly what these guys did. They, they stopped thinking about, am I in the right spot? And, ah, am I going to get yanked? Am I going to get yelled at? Did I screw that up? I mean, and, and they started thinking about, this dude's not going to do anything because I'm going to make it miserable for him. And they did that collectively, and they did that, uh, you know, together, and, and, and they, they, they fed off of one another when, when they saw a guy have success on his man doing that, and that fueled them to, to go do the same thing on, on the guy he was guarding and so on. And, and, and so I think that, that that allowed them to, to make that leap past the uh, worrying about the mental part of it and just playing hard and believing that it was going to be enough. And, and, uh, and then it showed that it was, and they, made it, they got on a pretty good run. And, and, uh, and now I think it's not just you know, part, of, uh, part of their approach and everything, but I think now it's, it's, it's a confidence thing. I think they, they believe their defense is as good as their offense right now. And, uh, and it certainly was in the second half against Miami. I mean, uh, the deflections, the steals, cleaning up the defensive glass and going, um, that, that, that was a clinic and it led to a lot of easy baskets and a lot of uh high highlight type plays you know i, I mean it was just uh it was just exactly the way this team should try to play and want to play and probably does want to play and so if they can bottle that up and and, and take that sort of approach into the opening minutes or an entire game or whatever it is um, I, I, again, I think they're going to be really hard to beat for any of those teams. So um, I, I think I think their defense has been phenomenal, and and I think it was maybe when the postseason started or toward the end of the regular season on the Ken Palm rankings, it was like 35 or something, right? I mean, it wasn't it wasn't terrible, but it wasn't impressive um, to that level where you really notice it. And in in three weeks to uh, to, to cut that in half, basically. I don't know if people realize what that takes. Um, I mean, that's, that's, you're talking about a season's worth of data and guys not moving that much. And, and for them to do it in, in that short period of time is, is, is really an indication of, of how good and effective they've been defensively. It's incredible. He is Matt Tate. You can check out his work in the Lawrence Journal World and at KUSports.com. Real quick, before we let you go, one last thing with Adam. All right, Matt, one last thing, just a one-word answer. Is the TV volume on your television uh, an odd number or an even number? One-word answer, tough. So you know I can't do that. Um, I'll give you a quick answer, though. It is usually a number associated with somebody that I am watching play. So, like, if I'm watching a Broncos game back in the day, you know, when Chris Harris was still there, I'd put it on 25. And that meant something. If they weren't playing well, I might dump it down to 18 for Peyton Manning. Um, back in the 90s when the Avalanche were playing in the Stanley Cup Finals and, and I was really into it, I'd go all the way up to 77 and put that for Ray Bork. So that's my that's my philosophy on the volume. All right. I'm always uh, intervals of five guy. I don't know. Maybe that's OCD or something. Uh, anyway, he's Matt Tate, Lawrence Journal World, <laughs> KUSports.com. Matt, look forward to reading about your coverage and seeing everything going on in New Orleans this weekend. Have a good one, man. All right, man. You guys do the same. Thank you. We'll see you soon. All right. That's Matt Tate. Check out his work. Lawrence Journal World, KUSports.com. With Adam Dravetta, I'm Derek Johnson. One hour down, two to go. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? 
You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com, and we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. Reminder, we're going to be out on Saturday at the Granada. KISS crew will be outdoors at the Granada from 1.30 to 3.30. They're going to be having a watch party. The entire block en masse, um, really from, I would assume, about 8th to 11th or 6th to 11th, something like that, um, is going to be shut down, and they're going to be having a bunch of watch parties and so forth. Um, We'll be out at the Granada one. We'll be doing a live show. And if you go out Friday night, Make sure, obviously. Yeah, move your car. Move your car, but here's a better solution to be 100% safe. Don't park your car on mass. You know what? Avoid everything. Just take an Uber to the bar, and that way you have no choice but to take an Uber home from the bar. And that means you're safe. That means your car is safe. All good things. There you go. They do not what they're are they just flat towing it if you're still there That's at a good six AM probably. I think it's six it's either six or eight AM. Six AM. Six AM, no cars on mass. So don't park on mass Friday night. And if you do, um don't drink so you can make sure to drive that car that is parked on mass home to get it home before six AM. Yes. So do that. But again, come on out. We're gonna be at the Granada. There's also gonna be watch parties at Abe and Jake's, Lucia, um, Rick's place, which is adjacent to Mass Street over on 9th Street over there. So uh, plenty of places to go watch the game. Some of those you'll want to look into because some of them you need to do reservations if you want a table. Others might have cover if you get there by a certain time. You won't have to pay cover, all that stuff. So check all those out. Our uh, college basketball title winner draft continues on. You have Gonzaga, Kansas, Villanova, UCLA. You have not touched a team in a couple weeks. And... I thought you had the winner in Gonzaga, but they end up losing to Arkansas. That night. Yeah. Um, you still have – I mean, you're guaranteed one team in the title. Yep. Because Kansas is playing Villanova. I had Kentucky, Arizona, who's out, Duke, Texas Tech was my ad last week. I was between adding Tech and Houston. Wouldn't have mattered either way. So, um pretty I, much for me, I feel good because I do think Duke is in a favorable spot. But well, what you, do we do here? Because you're, North you're Carolina is available. You're convinced. Duke that, is beating North Carolina. Well, you've been convinced since they beat Tech that Duke's winning this whole thing. Yes. Um, I'm fine. Look, if you want to say, I, I don't know how, what order. I We never planned for this um, this uh, eventuality of us me having two teams on one side and you having you know one team on the other side and that other team on the other mm-hmm. side being not t- not scooped up. Um, I don't know if you want to, you want to just, if you want to just do Duke, you, you know, you take one side, I take the other. That way we're both assured. No, somebody in the I don't. Title. I am so confident. I'm so confident that Duke is going to beat North Carolina that it doesn't matter that I will give you North Carolina. Okay, I'll drop. I will you, just give I'll, you the three out of I'll four. I'll drop UCLA and take UNC. Yeah. Then. Because ultimately I don't care. I want Kansas to win. The, oh, like I, I want, you know, I, that's the biggest, I, I just. As far as the draft goes, you know, I won't be happy. Even if I win the draft, I won't be happy if UNC or Villanova win this thing because I want Kansas to win it. So, yeah, I just like honestly, do you see? Let's forget the national title, just that one semifinal game, Duke, North Carolina. Do you actually see North Carolina beating Duke? No. After what happened at Coach K's final game, I don't know if that does matter or not. I would think it does. Like motivation, I can't imagine wise. how it wouldn't. Uh, no, I think Duke is going to come out 
rolling, and I think they're going to torch North Carolina. Like, if you told me one of those, let's say one of those two games are blowouts, It'll be Duke, it's probably Duke, Duke over, over Carolina. Carolina. I was pretty surprised that the point spreads were basically even between those two games. That has to have something to do with the injury of Villanova. But even then, but like, even then, I would have. It's not so much I'm surprised they're the same. It's that I'm surprised that the Duke UNC one so four close. and a half. Yeah. yeah, I would have put it more. I don't know six. I mean, I probably would look. I don't know what the spread was. Well, I mean, Duke dominated them in, uh, in Chapel Hill. In Chapel Hill. I would go back and look at what I, I don't know what the spread was in Cameron Indoor, but I would go back to that and and whatever Duke was favored by at Cameron Indoor, I would probably take two points off of that. So if they were favored by 12 in Cameron Indoor, man, nah, 10's a big number in the Final Four. I would say Duke, I mean, I would I would take somebody's bet if they wanted North Carolina plus six. Yes, I would, I would take too. that bet. I think Duke will Probably win by increased more odds. than six. Yeah. I think it's going to be a double-digit win for Duke. I just have such a hard time seeing. I will say this, though. The storyline that would come out of the game, if North Carolina wins that Ends game, that? Would be one of the 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 greatest sports storylines of my life. I know that sounds like hyperbole. Hyperbole, it is not. It'd be one of the, certainly one of the biggest sports stories that didn't involve one of our teams. You would, uh, yes, exactly, exactly. Um, you would be ending Coach K's home career. You would be ending Coach K's regular career. I mean, in a game both in, against rivals, the first time they've ever played in the tournament. That would be on like. Seriously, it, that that might be the craziest thing to have happened, but I'm just yeah. I'm, I'm just not expecting it to happen. Um, I've heard a lot of talk that if if Kansas and Newell may have, may have tweeted something like this, I don't know. I've seen a lot of talk from multiple people, just the assumption that if Kansas gets by Nova, they'd be favored against Duke. Yeah, that's what you said. I mean, they're ranked higher on Ken Palm. Duke is ranked tenth on Ken Palm. Athletically, I just Duke has it's tough. so many dudes. Yeah, Duke is uh, the thing is Duke is still forty fourth on defense, which even from the teams that we saw that fit into those parameters of you know because Baylor was the lowest at forty fourth, but everyone else was thirty seventh or higher entering the tournament. All of those teams that were there. By the time they got to the title, their defense was like top twenty five ish. You know, yeah, and that hasn't happened for Duke, which is a little weird. That's but their offense. Point. He's been unstoppable. They didn't been miss great. a shot in the final nine minutes against Tech. They, they're they up to number one in offense. They have the most NBA talent. I mean, they have five or six NBA dudes on that roster. You do wonder if the same inconsistency that bit them against North Carolina and the same inconsistency that bit them in the ACC tournament will catch up with them. I mean, they've only got two more games to go, but you wonder if it'll catch up with them at one, at, at one point. And look, to be, we've said this uh, uh, you know, multiple times in different ways. North Carolina is um, better than an eight seed if mm-hmm. you just look at their body of work over the last 20 games. Yeah. They've been one of the best teams in the country. So, um, you know, maybe I'm talking myself back into no, I'm why not. the— No, I think the Kansas-Villanova game is going to be awesome. I think, Duke, I think Duke will win by double digits, but I think I'm now talking more myself into justifying why the line is what it is. Ultimately, I would still take Duke— Minus the points, I would take Duke minus more points. Yeah, um, and by the way, be prepared. Kansas-Villanova is the first game of the night. We are going to see many, many shots of Coach K and his wife walking into oh, the in stadium. Oh, in the locker room, and yeah, they, yep, the bus is the game pulled is going up. On. And, oh, yeah. 
It's going to be horrible. All right, Kevin Flaherty, 24-7 Sports, is going to join us next. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Twenty till five. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN and KLWN.com with Adam Dravetta. I am Derek Johnson. Joined now by Kevin Flaherty of Twenty Four Seven Sports. The Final Four getting down this weekend in New Orleans. Uh, Kevin, I want to start as we take a look at both of these games. The Villanova Kansas game. Uh, Justin Moore gets injured for Villanova at the end of their Elite Eight game against Houston. And you know, you look at the stat sheet. Leader in minutes, he's pretty much near the top or at the top in different categories from points to shots and whatever you're looking at. How much does not having him affect Villanova, and what do you think that looks like for the Wildcats without him on Saturday? I think it really hurts him because he's a guy who is a really versatile scorer, can score at all three levels. And the way that Villanova operates its offense is – they play kind of inverted, and what I mean by that is they love to post their guards and and sort of send their big guys and and their wings away from the basket and spread the floor out. The year that they won the national title in in 2018, I think Jalen Brunson was among the top 20 most efficient low-post scorers in the entire country, and he was what, like a 6'2-point guard? Yeah. So, you know, that that's something that, that Villanova really does. And it's kind of genius, Derek, because it's what they do and you're not comfortable dealing with it. You know, your big guys are typically not as used to playing on the perimeter and having to defend on the perimeter. And certainly your guards are not usually used to having to defend against post-ups. And Justin Moore with his size, with his strength was a guy that, you know, was somebody that could knock down outside shots and, and do all those things. But he was also a very real threat to post up and give people those issues. And especially if Kansas decides to go with some of those two smaller guard looks at different points in this game, not having more out there is really going to hurt their ability to post up that second smaller guard. Yeah, I, I kind of wonder if this, like, you know, there's the 2018 Villanova game where Kansas just got boat raced and you had all those NBA players on Villanova and they just hit everything from the outside. The 2016 version when these two teams played was more of a kind of grinded out affair where shot making was more at a premium and it was kind of lower tempo. Uh, does this feel more like the 2016 game than it does the 2018 game? I think so. And I think, you know, anybody who thinks that Justin Moore's absence is probably going to be a huge swing factor, you know, statistics usually show that when you're missing a star player, you don't necessarily miss him the first game without him. And there are a lot of, you know, reasons that you could probably come with up with why that might be. You know, my personal theory is just that you know how you're going to adjust for them not being there and the other team doesn't. And so, you know, Villanova's been working all week with with Caleb Daniels filling that spot. They know what their rotation is going to look like. And so Kansas is going to be preparing a little bit on the fly for for what they're going to see and how Villanova is going to play without Justin Moore. But I do think that that over the course of an entire game, you know, once those initial punches are thrown, I I guess you'd say, 
it'll be a lot more like the 2016 game where you have kind of this punch, counter-punch, adjustment, counter-adjustment. And, and one of the things that I'm really fascinated to watch, honestly, is I think Villanova the last several times it's played Kansas defensively has done a really good job taking away what Kansas wants to do. If you think about that 2016 game, you know, they really took away Perry Ellis. And Perry Ellis had, had torched, I think, was it Maryland in the Sweet 16 where mm-hmm. he just, you know, went nuts on and then – he gets held basically out of the game against Villanova. And then in the 2020 game, uh, I guess it was 2019, the 2019-2020 season, you know, you go in and play that game against Villanova and they take away Yudoka Azubuki with their adjustments. And so I think one of the things to watch is this probably does project to be a little bit lower scoring game, maybe a little bit like that Providence contest is going to be what does Villanova try to take away from Kansas? What's the adjustment that Kansas then needs to adjust to if it wants to go ahead and move on into the uh, into the national championship game? Does it feel like Kansas is maybe a little better suited this time around if if Villanova is to say, hey, let's take away this this one thing because of the fact that Ochai Igbaji has been kind of struggling of late and other guys have stepped up? Yeah, I think so, and I think part of part of that too is the uh, you can't really call it an addition, but it, it is kind of the addition of Remy Martin because I think that Remy Martin is one of those guys that is really difficult to game plan for because he he doesn't really follow a, a set flow. You know, you guard him this way, he may get his points in another way. And I think that what Villanova would try to do is try to take away Kansas's post-up opportunities and their chances at the rim. I think that most people are going to look at this Kansas team and and say, okay, we'll, we'll probably try and play drop coverage. We'll attack David McCormick with a double, you know, when the pass comes in. And we're going to try and make it to where we don't get killed at the rim. And, so I think that that would be the adjustment, in which case, you know, you saw in that Providence game where they did a lot of those same sorts of things. Remy Martin coming out really gave Kansas, you know, sort of a, a breath of life and really changed that contest, allowed Kansas to, to build that early lead that, that kind of staked them through. And, and so I think that's that's the thing that makes this team a little bit better equipped to adjust was in some of those previous years you didn't necessarily have the offensive creativity that he brings and I think you know in 2016 too you know guys just missed shots and missed shots on both sides you could say as well because Villanova missed some shots that they normally would have hit that year as well but I do think that maybe Kansas is a little bit better equipped this year where if you take away one thing Whatever that one thing may be, Kansas may have an answer to uh, to try and figure things out. So Kansas wins if what happens, and Villanova wins if what happens. Yeah, I think Villanova, in order to win, is going to need this to be like the Providence game. It's going to need to be a 55-65 point game somewhere in there. And, and I think that if Kansas misses shots and it winds up being in that range again, the way it was against Providence, Villanova's got a pretty good chance to win. I think 
What really hurts Villanova is if Kansas is able to get out into transition and create some of the opportunities they've been able to through the tournament thus far. Because one of the things that we've seen historically is that pace really slows down in the NCAA tournament. Teams are so hyper-focused on taking away transition opportunities and making you execute in the half court and all of those things. And what has made this Kansas team so effective, I think, all year long, and, and they've actually been able to continue to do that in the NCAA tournament, is they've been able to turn stops and you know get the ball down the court and take advantage of when the defense hasn't been set. And I think part of that has been how well Kansas has been defending of late. And so there have been more stops. And, and I think the other thing, too, Derek, is it's really hard – to game plan for Kansas's transition when you have four guys who like bringing the ball up the court. You can't necessarily just jump somebody's point guard and say, okay, we're going to we're gonna pressure after a miss and, and make it to where Remy Martin has to walk the ball up the court. We can't do that to four different guys. And so I do think that Kansas, if it can get out into transition, get some easy buckets before Villanova is set, then the Jayhawks have a have a good shot to win this one. Okay, on the other side of the bracket, Duke taking on North Carolina. I'm not sure this game will be talked about much this week, but uh, <laughs> uh, one, one thing that I think is interesting, and I guess this goes to really all four teams, is um, the idea of the point guard play. And I know you've mentioned in the past like teams that – play the two lead guards and how successful they've been in, in winning titles. So I'm curious your take on that with the final four teams, but also, um, you know, outside of Villanova, because Villanova's had Colin Gillespie all season and before the season, during the season, now everybody has known that, yeah, he is one of the better point guards in the country, but it feels like three of those other four teams have all had questions about the, that, that kind of lead guard spot at different points this season for Kansas. You didn't know what you were going to get out of Remy Martin. Was Dewan Harris good enough for North Carolina? Uh, is Caleb Love shooting too much? And then RJ Davis kind of slides into that role uh, for Duke. Jeremy Roach has just kind of taken off as the season has come to its conclusion here. Um, so, yeah, I guess, uh, do you, who do you think has the edge in, in terms of the lead guard play among these final four teams, and and which of them do you think kind of bets, best fits your description of a team that has those multiple ball handlers on the floor? You know, it's it's kind of funny. I know it's been a couple weeks now, and so we've all aged significantly and got more gray hairs and everything, but I seem to remember on this very show you asking me who could be this year's Malik Newman and me picking Caleb Love. Mm-hmm. He was a guy that I thought really had that ability in him to explode. And so I think, as weird as it is to say, with with Villanova having Colin Gillespie, Gillespie hasn't quite been himself. You know, he's been dealing with a little bit of an ankle injury himself. And I think when you look across the tournament as a whole, it's tough to find better guard play than what North Carolina has gotten to this point. And you look at that... Baylor game and before Caleb Love got hurt or got hurt excuse me got you know before he fouled out in that Baylor game North Carolina had better guard play in that game than than Baylor did to that point and when you look at that and and look at what Baylor's strengths were and everything that's that's kind of a, a stunning thing to mention I do think Kansas's guard play has gotten so much better you know Dewan Harris doesn't get nearly enough credit for the job that he did defensively on Cam McGusty in the second half. 
And I think, you know, when you look at the, the quote unquote heroes of that game, I think that that's maybe something that people will start to mention more and more a few years from now that Kansas reached the final four in part because of what he did there. But Kansas has been, been really good in the backcourt. Jeremy Roach, I think, is really interesting to weigh against the rest of them because I think Duke has probably gotten the worst league guard play of those four teams. But at the same time, you know, he's he's been tremendous up to this point. It's just a question of if he's not making shots, and obviously North Carolina is incredibly familiar with Duke, Roach has been making most of his plays by getting downhill, and North Carolina has has a week to adjust to that, has a week to decide, you know, how they could try and take him out of it. And so I think that the Duke is probably fourth out of those four teams, but I also think that, uh, that North Carolina has a chance to, to potentially send Duke home because of that lead guard play. What happened in the previous meeting between these two that spoiled Coach K's last home game, do you think – that's repeatable, or do you think a lot of what you saw in that game was maybe just North Carolina playing out of their mind? Yes and yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do think North Carolina played out of its mind for, for that final stretch, and uh, I don't think there's there's any doubt about that. If you were to look at, at North Carolina's entire season, you know that stretch of basketball where they erased the deficit against Duke and then went on to win by 13, I have a hard time believing they had many better stretches this year than what they did there. I do think that it's somewhat replicable, though. Not necessarily, you know, hey, we're gonna we're gonna flip a double-digit deficit to a 13-point win, but I do think that one of the things that really stood out in those moments was how much more explosive and dynamic North Carolina was in the backcourt, and I think even with Jeremy Roach taking on a bigger role. I do think that that's an edge that North Carolina has that, you know, it found late in that game and it can continue to exploit. And so that part is replicable. I think, you know, you try and help off of those guys. North Carolina is pretty good at, at making you pay with Armando Baycott and, and Brady Manick is having a terrific tournament. And so, you know, you look at, at all of those pieces kind of work in tandem, but I do think that North Carolina could do a lot of the things that it did to find success against Duke and and probably do it again on uh, on Saturday. If Kansas is able to find a way to take down Villanova on Saturday, how do you think they would match up? What would intrigue you about a possible game against either Duke or North Carolina? Yeah, I think the the North Carolina game, I think they'd both be good and that both teams want to get up and down. And so that would be a style of play that the Kansas would really like. I think it's it's interesting because you've seen teams get fatigued by Kansas's way of running and I don't know whether that would be the case with with either of those teams. I don't know that Kansas has a great matchup for Paulo Bancaro, but I don't know that anybody really does. <laughs> And so, you know, that's that's one of the interesting things. I think, you know, Duke's rim protection with Mark Williams could be an issue because Kansas gets so many of its points and opportunities at and around the rim, and Williams is both a good shot blocker and a great rebounder. But I think, you know, against North Carolina, there's a lot more like-for-like matchups, right? Like you look at Armando Baycott and David McCormick are very similar body types, 
they excel in, in similar ways. You know, Brady Manick is sort of a stretch for, you know, Jalen Wilson also being that, that same sort of archetype, and, and Wilson's maybe a little bit more drive-happy, but, you know, similar sorts of guys. And, and then you'd have Leaky Black, you know, North Carolina's best defender, trying to slow down Ochai Baji, Christian Brown, you know, is is going to be bigger than whichever guard he's playing against. And so maybe you can get some opportunities at the rim there if, if you can guard those guys around the perimeter on the other end. And so I do think there are a lot more like-for-like matchups and matchups that Kansas could maybe feel good about against North Carolina as opposed to Duke. He is Kevin Flaherty. You can check out his work, 24-7 Sports. Uh, before I let you go, Kevin, one last thing with Adam. All right, Kevin, one last thing. What was the last item you bought at a charity bake sale? You know, I uh, I I can't think of anything that I bought from a charity bake sale, and so it's probably been quite a long time. I guess do, do buying Girl Scout cookies count? I mean, it's not technically a, a I, No, I would, I would call that a different type of uh, – All right, pivot. What's but, your yeah, favorite well, Girl yeah, Scout we'll cookie? Go, if, if, you can't, if you can't go the bake sale one, we'll ask. Favorite Girl Scout cookie? Oh, all right. My my favorite is the Thin Mints. I, I think Thin Mints are pretty much undefeated. I think you're right. Yep. I would yep. also love to try a Thin Mint cereal. Samoa's good. Thin Mint cereal. Thin mints I, would, are I would love to try a Thin Mint cereal, but I like the peanut butter patties, too. You know, I was going to say that's just dessert. That's not cereal, but, you know, there are certain cereals, right? Like, they have the... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're not all cereals yeah. dessert. Uh, basically, yeah. Anyway, well, Kevin, thank you so much for the time as always, man. And uh, looking forward to talking to you next week about whatever happens this weekend in New Orleans. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. All right. That's Kevin Flaherty. Check him out. 24-7 Sports. He is Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. Two hours down, one to go. We're going to be joined by Jacob Polachek, who uh, works for Zags Blogs. He's out covering the McDonald's All-American game, which kind of surprisingly, sneakily, is tonight in Chicago. So maybe you just extended your stay out there in Chicago. And uh, three KU commits are playing in the game. So a little bit more of interest this year than maybe in a few years of the past. So we're going to talk with Jacob on the other side. This is RCST. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com. And we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. The McDonald's All-American game tonight, and you're going to see some faces that you're going to be seeing at the University of Kansas pretty soon. We're joined by Jacob Polachek, who is uh, does national recruiting stuff with zagsblog.com. Uh, Jacob, thank you for coming on the show today. I, I, I want to take a look at each of these three KU commits and McDonald's All-Americans, starting with Grady Dick, who won the Gatorade National Player of the Year. How has he looked this week, and, and what kind of impact do you think he can have for KU next season? Yeah, Grady has looked great this week. Um, he's really risen up the ranks uh, in his senior year. Um, six foot seven, 195-pound forward. Um, obviously, he recently took home Gatorade National Boys Basketball Player of the Year honors. Um, and, uh, yeah, he, he's a solid wing, nice shooting stroke, Strong basketball IQ and good size for his position. Um, I think that he's going to really um, bring a lot to this KU team next year. And I think it's 
worth noting that KU is tied with Duke and Arkansas with three commits uh, at this McDonald's All-American game as the, the most commits in this year's class. And um, last time that KU had three McDonald's All-Americans, that was 2018 with Quentin Grimes, Devon Dotson, and David McCormick. Yeah, and, and a guy like Grady Dick, do you think he could be the type of guy that would put on a, a show in a setting like this where, you know, I, I don't know how hard of, of defense or anything they're going to play in, in this situation. I would think a guy who can shoot threes and, and dunk the basketball is going to kind of benefit from that. Yeah, I, I would really think so. Um, I think that just the way that he's been playing this year, averaging 18 points a game for a Sunrise Christian team that's 25-1, and one, he's He's looked like one of the best players in the country, um, and it wouldn't surprise me if if he had a a really great game tonight. Uh, The other commit that KU has, MJ Rice, another wing commit, um, it seems like he's been, uh, I don't know, has he kind of seemed like the the leader in terms of talking uh, among the the KU players about this group kind of coming in together? I think you can say that. it's unfortunate that he won't be playing in tonight's game due to a minor injury, but um, he has been here, and uh, I think that he'll add a lot to this team next year, a, a real physical force at the wing position. And, yeah, what do you think that, that he kind of um, brings to the table? What have you seen out of him this week kind of in getting ready for the game tonight? Yes, yeah, so I've, I've covered him a, a little bit throughout his high school career, and um, he's a really good shooter. Um, his physical size is really what stands out, being 6'5", 225 pounds. Um, he's, he's that prolific prep in Napa. He spent his junior year um, over at Oak Hill. And, uh, yeah, I, I really like his game. I think that uh, he complements these other commits very well. There's been a lot of talk uh, about MJ Rice and the possibility of, of skipping college and not going to Kansas first, maybe going the pro route, you know, G League Ignite or, or any of those possible avenues. Um, but it seems like in, in kind of the, the, the moments that you've gotten to talk to him or, you know, hear what he has to say, he seems pretty, pretty uh, committed to KU. Is that kind of the sense that you're getting that, you know, maybe those rumors shouldn't really be propped up? Yeah, maybe there have been those rumors going around, but based on what he said, it sounds like he's all in to be at Kansas next year. Um, I know he he talked yesterday um, during media day, talking about his future teammates, talking about um, this this whole team next year. So he sounds like he plans on being all in next year. The third and final commit for KU that's going to be playing tonight is Ernest Uday. Um uh, what have you seen out of him? Thoughts on him at Kansas next season? Yeah, Ernest is an interesting player. He really came onto the scene last summer. Uh, he he blew up after that Pangos All-American camp in Las Vegas and had a really great showing with Southeast Elite on the Adidas circuit. Um, I think that he can really offer a lot in the post, um, especially with, with David leaving. And uh, he's 6'10", 230 pounds. He catch lobs, finish plays at the rim. Um, he's, a, he's a really nice addition to this Kansas class. Which of those three guys have you been most impressed with or entertained with or whatever over the course of, of getting ready for the, the game tonight? I, it's hard to pick, pick against Grady. Um, he's just been so exceptional, and he's really turning into um, a one-and-done type player. So uh, I, I, I really 
I'd, I'd be hard-pressed to pick anyone but Grady with the year that he's had. Does it feel like those three guys are, are spending a lot of time together and, and really starting to gel this week? Yes, I would say so. I think you're seeing a lot of guys here uh, pairing off into their respective recruiting classes, and I think at KU it's no different. Um, this is really the first time that all three of these guys are able to spend an extended amount of time with each other, even though all three of them are playing on the national high school circuit, and um, we'll, we'll, we'll see each other some, from time to time. I, I don't know how many uncommitted guys there are, and I, I don't know how many of them KU is actively recruiting or anything, but uh, you know, you always hear those stories at, at the McDonald's All-American game or whatever, these these kind of high school showcase games of players who are committed to a school, trying to talk up the school to another guy who's uncommitted and trying to kind of self-recruit them to the school themselves. Is that going on at all this week? It was. Um, back when Anthony Black was uncommitted, but he made his college decision last night. He'll be heading to Arkansas. And really, outside of that, there's not too many uncommitted players. I believe the only uncommitted player here is Julian Phillips, who recently decommitted from LSU after Will Wade's firing. But every other guy, they've, they've got their, their college decision locked in, so you aren't seeing a ton of recruiting. Are those three guys going to be on the same team tonight? Are they going to be on different teams? How's, the, how's that going to look? Yeah, so um, you have on the East team – you're going to have Ernest and MJ, and then on the West team, you're going to have Grady. So I guess you could get a situation where you have MJ Rice going up against Grady Dick. That could be pretty fun, I would imagine. Yeah, that would be a fun matchup to see. I know that uh, uh, those guys would love to go up against each other and and compete, so um, that, that definitely could happen. Um. From the perspective of those three guys, from a Kansas perspective, maybe just, I guess, the McDonald's All-American game overall, uh, what do you find most interesting about the game tonight, and what are you looking forward to seeing? Yeah, I I really think that I know there's a lot of talk about maybe Derek Lively being the number one player in this class, Nick Smith Jr., but there really isn't a true number one player in this class. I think that's still really up for grabs. So uh, it will be interesting to see who stands out and if a player is able to kind of separate themselves from the pack. How how much of tonight do you think does have an impact on on rankings and the way we see things? I mean, I remember uh, Sheck Diallo, who ended up not really having a huge impact on Kansas, having a huge game in the McDonald's All-American game, but also, you know, I see a guy like Grady Dick, who did win Gatorade National Player of the Year, but, you know, he's only in kind of the low 20s ranking area right now, depending on, on where you look. Could could a game going off tonight have an impact on kind of the way that we view these guys and, and their rankings? Yeah, I think a lot of people want to say that one game won't have an impact um, and we really should look at full body of work, um, which I think is done for the most part, but it's hard not to um, take stock into really the biggest high school basketball game of the year and how guys perform. I know um, back in the, uh, I think it was the 2017 game, um, I was in Chicago for when Michael Porter Jr. won MVP and he was the talk of of all of college ba- or all high school basketball after that. So um, don't want to take too much stock into it, but I'm sure that 
if uh, if there is a standout player, they will see a boost in the rankings. He is Jacob Polachek. You can check out his work with zagsblog.com. Jacob, I appreciate you coming on and have fun tonight. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. All right, that was Jacob Polachek again, McDonald's All-American game on tonight. Could have just extended your stay if you were out in Chicago for the uh, Elite Eight and Sweet 16 and uh, check out these guys. I don't know, by the way, if you saw um, Grady Dick is wearing or, you know, the like Letterman jacket they got from McDonald's and they're able to like, I don't know, scribe on there like a name or, or nickname or something and, and kind of curse the font on the front. And he wrote, yeah, I don't even know if I can say it on air, so I'm not going to. But uh, you should look up what it is. Anyway, um, this is Rock Truck Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. Bill Self spoke with the media earlier today. We played for you part of that earlier in the show. The rest coming up on the other side.